0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem.
1: For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org.
2: Good evening and welcome to Jerusalem, to uh, our Bible study from from Christchurch, as we wrestle with the last words of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 17. We've had a fantastic couple of uh, uh, weeks with holidays, and so we've discussed a few of those and celebrated them and enjoyed them. And we are still enjoying the Feast of the Lord uh, of Sukkot. Uh, Tonight's study, though, brings us back to Moses' last speech before the people of Israel. It's on his birthday and his last day as he is preparing the the children of Israel uh, for their conquest of Canaan to establish a just, moral, and uh, beautiful society that reflects the character of the Lord, uh, that will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles roundabout. Uh, and so this is our, our study tonight. we will begin um, by acknowledging the Lord's presence in prayer and, and, uh, and allowing, uh, just acknowledging that, that he is indeed King. Neville, mm-hmm. pray brother.
3: Yes, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come before you at any time and in any condition, Lord, to call on you for your help, for your mercy, and for your guidance. So, Father, we ask that you would be with us and honor us by your presence. Lord, Lord, let your Holy Spirit guide us and to understand these words of Moses that have resonated down the centuries. Father, enlighten our hearts and touch our spirits, we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: All right, so first of all, it's absolutely a delight to see you all here. It's absolutely fantastic opportunity, again, to, to, to be with the brothers and sisters from all over the world. I really enjoy it. Thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to this study again. So <clears throat> from tradition, because we love tradition, uh, we normally go over the previous week's study. Well, that was a while ago. And uh, so... The previous chapter, we concluded Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 to 20, where Moses had been talking about um, the uh, Shavuot and Sukkot. And so here is a summary. I know it was a while ago, but uh, here we go. From, from several weeks ago, Deuteronomy 16, 9 to 20. God is the master of time. He exists outside of it and he dwells within it. His involvement in his creation occurs at specific times and God has provided a sacred calendar to record sacred time. Moses, however, focuses his speech before Israel towards the three pilgrimage festivals, seemingly downplaying the other festivals of the Lord. In this portion, Moses expounds on Shavuot and Sukkot. One primary aspect of his oration on the festivals is the involvement of the whole community of Israel, including the strangers, the non-Jews, and the weak members of society, and the Levitical priests. The clergy must be involved in the life cycle of Israel. And that's going to... Come up again in today's portion. The clergy must be involved in the life cycle of Israel. They are not to be distant nor removed from the public mind. God is the author and finisher of our faith. His timing is perfect, just as he himself is perfect. Passover begins the story of redemption. Shavuot introduces the perfect instructions of the Lord in the form of the Torah at Sinai, and Sukkot reveals the proper response to redemption and instruction in the form of thankfulness and joy. Moses does not mention sacrifices except for the solitary Passover sacrifice. Despite the Book of Numbers noting that Sukkot has the greatest number of sacrifices of any feast of the Lord, 70 bulls in all, which the rabbis claimed represent the nations of the world, Moses mentions none of them. Throughout the narrative, Moses' final speech, he appears to diminish the role of ritual in the Mishkan, that is, the tabernacle. Another aspect of the pilgrimage festivals that Moses highlights is gratitude in the form of gifts given to God. Moses reminds the people that they were formerly slaves in Egypt. Part of the redemption story involves careful obedience as a response to that very redemption. Gratitude is not an emotion. It is not a state of being that we willingly enter ourselves into. The highest form of gratitude to God for things that he has done is actually doing what he says to do. As well as obedience, the people must also bring free will gifts to God. It seems to be erroneous to command a free will offering. Free will offerings are first recorded in Exodus in relation to material gifts for the building of the Mishkan, the dwelling place of God amongst these people. In Leviticus, the free will offering is an animal that is consumed by the worshipper in the presence of God interestingly the free will offering can be stunted deformed or damaged it does not have to be an unblemished or perfect although it does have to be male this is the only sacrifice that is allowed to be blemished okay is the free will offering and it only says so in leviticus obedience does not have to be a burden in fact Moses reminds the people that God will indeed bless them the blessing will come in the abundance of harvest but also in all the work of their hands the joy of the Israelites will be complete upon receiving the blessing of God joyfulness and Thanksgiving are the culmination of the process that began at redemption and ended in with blessing and this pattern is continued in the new testament beginning with yeshua as the passover Lamb, followed by our obeying the call to follow the messiah in thankfulness and joy concluding with life in abundance and blessing of the presence of the lord in our communities chapter 16 finishes with admonitions to appoint honest judges to promote justice amongst the people All God's ways are justice, and his people require and deserve honest judges. The pursuit of justice is linked to the possession of the land of Canaan. Idolatry, the great evil that perpetually plague Israel, is once again ordered, destroyed, and forbidden. In particular, the Asherah trees, as Moses seeks to dissuade the belief that God has a heavenly consort. There is no queen of heaven. There is only a king. All right, that was a
4: uh... amen to that.
2: Yes, <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, that was a summary of the, of Moses's little or, 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 uh, oration on the two festivals uh, following Passover, the three pilgrimage festivals, and his little little plug on making sure we appoint good judges and we try and get rid of idolatry which is how we start this next chapter so let's have a look at uh, deuteronomy 17 i'll read and uh, i'm currently reading from the niv although uh, an esv happens to be on the way so thank you very much for the gift um The post office is is still shut because of COVID, but don't worry, I'll get it very soon. All right, so Deuteronomy 17. Do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. If a man or a woman living among you in one of the towns that the Lord gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God in violation of his covenant, and, contrary to my command, has worshipped other gods, bowing down to them, or to the sun, or to the moon, or to the stars of the sky, and this has been brought to your attention, then you must investigate it thoroughly. If it is true and has been proved that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, take the man or the woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. The hands of the witness must be the first in putting that person to death. And in the hands of all the people, you must purge the evil from among you. If cases come before your courts that are too difficult for you to judge, whether bloodshed, lawsuits or assaults, Take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. Go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office at that time. Inquire of them and they will give you the verdict. And you must act according to the decisions that they give you at the place the Lord will choose. And be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. Act accordingly to whatever they teach you and the decisions they give you. Do not turn aside from what they tell you nor to the right, nor to the left. Anyone who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest who stands ministering before the Lord your God is to be put to death. You must purge the evil from Israel. All the people will hear and they'll be afraid, and they will not be contemptuous again. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you've taken possession of it and settled in it and say, Let us set a king over us, like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may Learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of the law of his decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law, nor to the right, nor to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Awesome. All right. So from an initial surface reading, what is there that jumps out, guys? Verse 17, Aaron, it says, uh, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, referring to the king. I was thinking of King Solomon, King David. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Seem to disobey that one. <laughs> so. The difference is rather large in the numbers. Doesn't actually tell you how many, what multiply is, does it? No, uh, that's what I figured out. Can you explain a bit more on
3: that? <laughs> well, I would have said that, you know, David could probably argue the case, but Solomon is kind of in a different ballpark. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so Solomon, yeah, King David has 18 wives, and, and Solomon ends up with a 1,000 women. So um, uh, there is a – which is just ridiculous – if if you think about it. Um, Although the Talmud does have an interesting chapter on this, it has a little discussion saying, Solomon was so brave and so strong and so virile, he managed to um, fulfill the obligations of each woman at least once a year, which means- Aaron, sorry, can this not be, is this a form of disobedience? Oh, absolutely. But what's interesting is the, the Hebrew is unclear. It doesn't give you a number. It just says many. And so Solomon has somehow tricked himself into thinking that this is not many. And if we're honest, we sometimes do the, do the same thing with God. We sometimes think of some of his commands and go, hey, we can handle it. That's not really what it means. And and um uh, and, and uh, yeah it, it, it for Solomon it has a very interesting ramification in the effect that uh there is a long discussion about whether Solomon is or is not in heaven. And uh the conclusion is anyone know. I or think he, all, mis- he
3: misses the cut, I think. Yeah,
2: he misses the cut, very well put. Yeah, they say that no idolaters are in heaven, and he engaged in idolatry, and, uh, and there's no biblical notion that says he repented. He may have, but uh, the, 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 the latest exegesis from 1,400 years ago was he didn't quite make the cut. He was a bit sad.
5: Is there anything else, um, yeah. yeah, Yeshua did not um, was not um, very critical about um, Solomon. In fact, he spoke about uh, when he when he referenced Solomon, he, he didn't he didn't um, make it seems as if Solomon might be in hell, because um, when he referenced Solomon, it was like um, uh, Solomon was um, intelligent and he was um, given wisdom from God. Yeah.
2: Yep, this is true. He gets a gift. And the gifts and calling of God are
5: without repentance.
2: Correct. And so the gift of wisdom for Solomon remains, even though he does some very silly things. Okay. Any other?
4: Well, uh, yeah, for me, verse sixteen.
2: Okay. Because
4: uh, we've we've been we've been studying the just the last part. Like, it sounds like there is a commandment not to go back to Egypt. Yeah. And some guy brought it up because we've been studying the Hebrew Matthew. Yep. And um, so when Yeshua and his parents, they go back to to Egypt, one guy that they call him T-Bone, he said, well, wait a minute. Why did they go back to Egypt? Isn't there a commandment not not to go back (laughs) to Egypt?
2: Yeah, good question. Mm.
4: Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the, the, uh, it's interesting that in the history of Israel, Abraham leaves from where? Where does Abraham leave? Mesopotamia. Um, okay, yeah. The great empire that's in the east. Where does Israel come from? They leave from Egypt, the big empire in the west. Okay, so the two great big empires that there were in the world, Israel leaves them. And uh, they were not not meant to go to one way or the other. They were meant to form their own uh, independent kingdom, a very just society, a reflection of God's character, and show that to the rest of the world. But uh, it's interesting that they leave both Mesopotamia and Egypt, and they leave all of their their structures, the way that they do their kings, the way that they do their life, the way that they do their judiciary, and they were supposed to form something completely different. They weren't to borrow from their gods. They weren't meant to borrow anything from them. Um, They be, meant to be quite different. Uh, It doesn't always work out that way. And yet you find the Messiah going to Egypt because there's that Strange little prophecy that appears in the prophets that just says very simply from out of Egypt I called my son
6: And therefore in defense of Mary and Joseph I would argue that we should read what it says I don't know what it says in the Hebrew But in the English That you are not to go back for To acquire more horses for himself Or have the people return to Egypt to to obtain more horses Yeah
2: or, the, yes, the context, the context of Deuteronomy um, is in, in terms of army and military might. Right. Right. So the, the king is not meant to maintain a, a large military. He's not meant to maintain a large number of political brides. He's not meant to create too many relationships with the foreigners. Uh, some, just not many. Because they're meant to influence them, not be influenced by them.
0: But then isn't this, Aaron, a issue that Israel has today with all these agreements it's doing with the UAE and all of that? In a sense, it's going back to to other people for their strength and not to God. For their it
2: um, it's one of those things. Um, do we celebrate peace between the United Arab Emirates and Israel or do we mm-hmm. revel in the fact that they have perpetual war? Which one are we happy with? <laughs> I mean, we, it is a very easy <laughs> concept. We we acknowledge that Jeremiah says peace, peace, but there will be no peace. We acknowledge that we have to be very careful when when. Is this a real peace? Are they actually uh, changing their tune? Um, Will we be influenced by them? There's that motto. Or do we want to go back to a perpetual state of war where it's just us versus everyone and we're all happy with that? Uh, it's, it's, It's a very, very interesting situation we find ourselves in. And that debate, Vida, is in this country too.
6: Um, is, is Israel going to the UAE, or is the UAE going to Israel?
2: Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to be the change, the change of heart.
6: <laughs> stronger of the two. Yeah. I think
3: it, the change in acts. direction is by the UAE rather than Israel, in this case, yeah. and, and Bahrain. Yeah.
5: And I think- one of the other questions is when it says that, that uh, Christ went to Egypt. Where was Egypt?
2: Well, where was it?
1: Egypt at that time was about twenty miles west of Jerusalem.
2: Uh, yeah, they, they 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 controlled the Sinai. That is correct.
6: So so it's not, I think, in everyone's mind where they're making a trek down to the Nile. Yeah, they're still going the next <laughs> town over.
2: Yeah, it could be. He could have just you know ran about yeah three days away and he's safe. Um, mm-hmm. We're not one hundred percent sure what he means by by Egypt. Okay, Um, so everyone... Okay.
5: some other thing that um, catches my attention is um, verse number 14. Um, It says there that if after you've entered the land that the Lord your God has assigned to you and you have taken possession of it and settled in it, you decide, I will set a king over me as do all the nations about me. I remember that um, during the um, the first Samuel, when the people decided to set a king, it wasn't but yeah, God said that they are going to decide it, and it's good. Yes. And uh, but there, it wasn't appreciated.
2: That's right. You picked up a, <laughs> a great piece of tension when they finally <laughs> do do this <laughs> in yeah. the negative. Yeah. But here, God is saying, when it comes time, okay, four hundred years in the future, when it comes time, pick a king. I choose. Doesn't say. Bad idea, don't do it. Really horrible. Okay. In fact, I love the time of judges where you all got a mess. In fact, that's the way it should be. It doesn't seem that way. It, it's a it's a, the whole idea of kingship is a very interesting tension. Um here in this passage, God is is setting up the, the ideal form of, of a of a monarch. Uh whether we get that or not, let's Interesting. I, I find it interesting that so far all our discussion all relates to the passage about the king. Um, the, the bit that, which I happen to enjoy too, uh, being a, a monarchist, but um, the the bit that me when I was reading this uh, was um, in verse 9 when uh, we have the issue of dealing with, law within our um, community, and we can't quite figure out uh, whether our judiciary courts are gonna make the right decision or whatever. The the request is go to the Levites, um, which, and we'll hope we'll get to it in a minute, means that the clergy continue to play a very important role in in the life of the community which brings a tension which we find in the modern world of the separation of church and state. And we have it in the modern world. In fact, people will die for it. But that is not what you're going to find here. In fact, what you're going to find is Moses actually saying, make sure that you don't forget the Levites, which we did last chapter and he's going to come and say here, make sure you listen to what they say, that the highest court is actually a religious one. And uh, as Tom, who's my my brother over there in um, sunny America, he will know that you can take the Catholic out of the church, but you cannot take the church out of the Catholic. And uh, and this, this is gonna be an interesting discussion here, uh, when we get to it, is in relation to what truly should be the believer's response to government. And, because
1: wasn't, wasn't Israel a little, a little bit different that it was run as a theocracy?
2: Well, it... At it
1: time in the Old Testament? Yeah.
2: Well, oh, theocracy means, you know, that the uh, priests are in charge. although here in 17, in, in chapter 17, you're going to have this relationship between the, the priesthood and a king, and we'll see what the king can and cannot do. and uh, And it is going to be something that we do need to, to talk about because it does have applications in our modern world. And I'm going to highlight a current thing that's been going on, particularly in America, though it's it's gone on in Australia, and it's gone on here in Israel. How can you, as a Christian, vote for abortion? For a what? Abortion. For like, can you can you say, I'm not going to put my vote as a Christian. I'm going to vote as a secular. Is that possible? And and, and let's have, so we'll let's let's read what Moses says. See what we what we can come up with. And hopefully we can get some discussion, and maybe there'll be some people who agree or disagree. Um, But we'll see. Okay, so let's go back to verse 1, the beginning of chapter 17. Okay, so the background story is obviously we've been burning all the Asherah poles. There are no female consorts to heaven. Idolatry is bad. Then you get this verse, don't sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect in it for that is detestable, okay? Except, when I was doing my little introduction, what animal can you offer that is uh, with a defect? Anyone remember? Nope. The first one. The free will offering. It says in Leviticus 22, uh, sorry, 23, (coughs) or was it 22? 22, 23, okay, uh, in verse twenty, Leviticus 22, verse 20, it says, do not bring anything with a defect because it will not be accepted. Okay, great, got that command. When anyone brings from the herd or the flock a fellowship offering from the Lord to fulfill a special vow, as a free will offering, it must be without a defect or a blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured or the maimed or anything with warts or a festering sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. You may, however, present as a freewill offering an ox or a sheep that is deformed or stunted, but it will not be accepted in fulfillment of a vow. So the only offering that you can bring that has a blemish is a freewill offering. So what do you think he's talking about here? Because this is now Moses saying you can't bring a sacrifice that's got a blemish. Aaron, is this also thanks, a thanksgiving type offering where you're you giving gratitude to the Lord and you're saying thank you for something? So the, the, um, the actual word there is uh, zeveach. So the word altar, mizbeach, the sacrifices you burn on them, um, the ones that you that, can, can, that are consumed entirely are uh, the ones that, that go to God. And they're called the uh, zevechim. The uh, Ola, the, uh there, are, there are other different types of offerings. The free will offering is uh, is, has got nothing to do with any other command, it's a, it's a free will gift, and you actually eat it and uh, in the presence of the Lord.
3: And Reverend, it's the, is, it, is it sometimes called a peace offering? Is it just a, a word used in different translations? I'm not 100% sure if it's
2: sometimes called a peace offering, but um. Uh, uh, the 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 only time that I've seen it used is in in Leviticus, where it says it can have a blemish. Is this this free will bit? Um, and and uh, the, every other offering or sacrifice has to be perfect, um, because because obviously we we recognize that God doesn't recognize second best as a sacrifice. Right. So we have to be very careful what we uh, withhold from God right? and what we present to God. And obviously in the New Testament, we can think of Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? So if you're going to give something to God, you give, give him the best. Right? You know, there's, that, there's that joke that says you know, this farmer had a cow and the cow gave birth to twins and the farmer goes, this is fantastic, what a miracle. Okay, one is ours and one is the Lord's. And then a day later, uh, he goes back and he discovers that one of, the cows has, one of the calves has died. And he goes, uh-oh, looks like God's calf died. Right? And, you know, it's like, you can't do that. Okay? You know, don't, don't ever try and trick God. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira did, and it ended poorly. There is, there is, a, is a, a time for us to be able to offer a genetically imperfect animal, but that's something that we take, we eat which has interesting ramifications. Malachi, the, the prophet, um, says in chapter 1, uh, where he uh, the, the prophet is, is, is arguing with the people, and it says, um, to you priests who show contempt for my name. It's a rather um, uh, bold claim. These are the priests serving in the temple, and the, the prophet comes along and challenges them by saying, you're showing contempt for the very God that you pretend that you're serving. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And he says, because you offered defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we offered defiled food? You, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor would he be, be pleased with you would he accept you says the Lord Almighty and so the the prophet is describing there that let's 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 be very honest that um, we give God our best because we will give our children our best we will give our wives our best we will give our boss our best um, let's make sure that we actually give God our best and, uh, and if we don't then we're actually holding him in in contempt uh, and so Moses Sets out very early on uh, for his people when he says, when when it is time to sacrifice, doesn't distinguish much about ritual in the the Deuteronomy, doesn't talk about it much. But here it's one line and he says, just whatever you do, okay, then it's perfect because your God is perfect and you're going to give God uh, your best. Verse 2. Now we're back to idolatry. If a man or a woman living among you is one of, in one of your towns the Lord has given you, is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, which is in violation of his covenant, and is contrary to my command, has worshipped other gods, bowing down to them, all the sun, the moon, and the stars, and this has been brought to your attention, then you must investigate it thoroughly. If it is true, and it's been proved that it's a thing has been done in Israel, you take that man or woman, go to the city gate, and you stone them to death. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. No one is to be put to death on testimony of only one witness. The hand of the witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death. And then the hands of all the people, you must be purged the evil from among you. All right, so now we get uh, a little discussion on capital punishment. And uh, so why do you think that this passage has to be so strongly reemphasized by Moses? Any ideas?
0: Aaron, um, this is Jennifer. Hey, I was Jennifer. looking at, hey there, I was looking at that verse a little earlier and thinking, boy, that's a serious thing. It's not just like, uh, you know, you can grumble and uh, make, you know, make false statements about your neighbors, but if you're actually the one accusing them, that means you have to be the first one to throw the first stone. So that's, that's sort of serious. You know, it would make me think twice about who I accuse about what.
2: And Jennifer, I think that was the point. I think that uh, the reason why they made the witnesses be the first to enact a a, a death penalty is to make it incredibly serious so you just don't go running around falsely accusing accusing people because you actually have to kill them and uh that that's a pretty pretty big thing
6: so um must have been happening
2: yeah 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 yes so this could be in a reaction to what's been going on and since the 40 years in the desert Moses would be saying, "Okay, look, we're, I'm a bit tired of people running around accusing people and 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 killing people. We're going to uh, sort this out. So, how many witnesses do we need? Three. Right. Three. We, need, we need two to three. Okay. We and what what does it mean to be a witness? It means you throw the first stone. Okay. Well, one thing is you partake in the punishment." But, <laughs> um,
5: that you actually you actually saw saw the person that um, committed the the act.
2: Jim Sean, well done. Yes, it, this is not gossip. You don't kill people because two people say they heard you do something or say that you did this. You don't go on hearsay. Hmm. Gossip is Very not good. part of your, your law courts. Roddy? Very good. No, that's it. Hearsay. No hearsay. This is just hearsay. You have to actually physically see it. It's a witness. Someone says, I, I saw this person with an, an Asherah pole around the back in their garden. I, I, I saw this person <laughs> bow down and, and, and prostrate themselves to the sun, the moon, and the stars. I was part of their Ouija board movement or whatever, you know. You have to physically be able to see it and have it corroborated by two or three other people. So you can't just have one guy come along and say, I saw this. That's not good enough. You actually have to have um, quite a few people. Um, Which is, um, because all too often in our current society, we find people guilty in our mind based on what people say. And that's rather sad, isn't it? You know, as as a very poor reflection on ourselves, we're often judging other people and condemning them in our minds. We may not even actually say it out loud based on gossip and we've got chapters in the new testament about gossip uh, but here here we're talking about a capital punishment is very serious and it's a very serious issue idolatry plagued israel and uh, you couldn't seem to get rid of the damn thing and uh and it threatens the entire nation how does it threaten the entire nation because it's linked to your possession of the land right? moses said this in um uh, in in the previous chapter, you know, this is part of you can keep keeping this land. This is your gift. You can keep it as long as you don't, you know, forsake my command to start worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars. If you do, you're out. So it's a, it's a big deal, and it involves this this thing called capital punishment. Um, so it's 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 pretty serious. Um, but again, it's so serious that it needs strong proof, and hearsay is not it. And um, and and we actually have a reflection of this in uh, in, the, in the New Testament, in Greek Bible, in one Timothy five nineteen. Somebody could quickly run to that one. Okay, First uh, Timothy chapter five nineteen. There, it's not in relation to um, killing anyone, death penalty, or stoning, or anything, but it is in relation to. Uh, uh, treating your, your elders, treating your shepherds that have, uh, with a charge that has come up against them. Anyone okay, got I'll it? Read
3: it. Um, I've got it here in ESV. It says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses.
2: Yep. So out? again, two or three witnesses. The, 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 the New Testament is following the same pattern. We have to be very careful when it comes to gossip, when it comes to a charge, that we take a witness. Two or three. We don't just listen to to stuff. And uh, and the hands of the witness are the ones that are going to cast the first stone. So obviously, as Jennifer noted, the witnesses need to be very certain that what they saw is true because they have to be prepared to actually kill someone. And Aaron, what uh, Testament passage does that, refer, does that bring well, to mind?
3: Aaron, this reminds me of uh, John chapter 8 where... Yes. Uh, this woman is brought before Jesus um, and she has been found to be in the act of adultery. I mean, in the very act is what they say. But what, what I find interesting is that Jesus turns this situation. Well, it's several things he does, but I've just noticed that he takes this requirement that those who are eyewitnesses cast the first stone. He changes that and says, the one who is without sin, let them cast the first stone
2: yeah Jesus uh, does a very interesting teaching and um, and so he does two 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 levels one is the obvious one uh, they say they the charge is we've caught this lady in the act of adultery so the scenario is if that's true why do you need Jesus you know exactly what to do You've got yourself some witnesses. You say they saw them. Okay. What, who should be be, be getting killed here?
6: Both of the parties. Both of them.
2: So both parties. We've got real problems with the scenario. Two parties, only one's present. So, uh, and and, and Jesus does a fantastic teaching. He says, okay, I, I know what the law says. Fair enough. But I'm also going to give you a teaching about the nature of sin, about the, uh, the ability of having pure hands and the one who witnesses something to be able to go and enact some sort of punishment. So he also uh, says, it gives you that sort of, you know, you guys are hypocrites because if you're going to kill the woman because you saw it happen, where's well, the man? So there's a very good chance you didn't actually see it either. Because if you did see it, you wouldn't need me. Good trick. I have the opportunity to teach you, and at the same time, I'm going to tell this woman not to keep doing this. There's a huge amount of teaching there on so many levels. Uh, you know, Jesus is just a, a, a master, a master teacher. Yeah. So what's he, uh, writing, uh, in just... so, sorry, what's he writing in the ground?
0: What's he writing in the ground? The names of the other. Um, parties or who knows what he's writing? Uh, there is
2: there is a reference in um, one of the prophets that talks about uh, the names okay. of the accused will be written in dust or something like that. Okay,
3: I'll read it for you, shall I? Oh,
2: okay, you've got it. Okay, great. No. But only, no.
3: <laughs> Jeremiah, so, <laughs> Jeremiah, seventeen. No, I I just came across this a, some time ago, and I think actually most people will t- retell the story of Jesus. His judgment in this case and won't realize the power of what Jesus is doing in writing in the dust. So, yeah, you guys turn to Jeremiah 17 um, and I'll read from verse 12. Verse 12? Verse 12, yes. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame, those who turn away from you shall be written in the dust for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water.
2: Wow!
3: And yeah. so I think what Jesus is doing, now this is just a guess, but I think what Jesus is doing, he's just writing names in the dust. Now I'd like to think that he might write some specific names like Joseph Caiaphas, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe yeah. he's just writing everyday <laughs> names of ordinary people, you know, the commonest names there are. And, and, the people who are watching, which they, these are the, the experts, these are the religious experts, they will pick up this reference. Jesus is writing people's names in the dust, and they will have made the jump to this reference. We don't do it these days because our biblical knowledge isn't good enough. But the, the the people who were trying to accuse Jesus were the experts. And and this is a really subtle uh, rebuke to them that mm. their names will be written in the dust because yeah. of, you know, they first... I have forsaken the fountain of living waters. It's a a really powerful situation.
1: Very powerful.
4: Very
1: powerful. Hanging in there. It's um, been tough. Um, Verse 1, the sin of the same chapter, which I love this passage. I think it's so complementary to that, to the the adulterous woman. Verse uh, verse 1, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron so it's just a compliment to the other to verse 13 uh very interesting and it speaks to of uh romans 2 how you don't be quick to judge right romans 2 yeah. i was just reading and listening in the in the car so both sides you know yes.
5: and um Aaron, we also saw in um in kings i think yeah, where um this same law was perverted by um, Jezebel and her husband Ahab and when they brought some, um, some vagabond that pretended to become witness against um, nail boats, um in this garden that they finally took away from him you know they said that the man blasphemed against God but because they were able to get the number of people that will stand as a witness this man was killed an innocent man and uh, mm-hmm. the judgment of God came you know just to yeah. mention
4: Aaron,
2: yes. yes,
4: sir. Um, going back to verse two. Yep. So, w- what about nowadays? I mean, I think all of us. Well, at least I have friends that live their lives according to astrology and the tarot and the stars and and magic and all that. Um. Yep. I don't. I don't follow that, of course.
2: Yes, I know. And, uh, <laughs>
4: I. I. I, I tell. I tell them. I tell them that. I try to tell them where, cause they don't even know where it comes from. Like all the Babylonian sun work, some God worship and all that. Right. Yep. So if back then, and right now we are not stoning them, we're not putting mm-hmm. them to death. Mm-hmm. Yep. What, what about our, our relationships between those people? Yep. And us.
2: Yep. This is, um, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna frame frame it in a certain way and then throw it out to, to everybody because um, it's a it's a top question. We don't do this, uh, and we haven't done this for a very long time. Okay, a thousand years ago we did. Okay, you know, we had some pretty tough laws or, or in many different countries about what you can and can't do. Um, obviously, in our today's world, we don't throw people into jail for stealing bread. We don't ship them to Australia for free for stealing bread, although people <laughs> did. Um But And we, don't, we certainly don't kill people um, for, for tarot cards or for reading their horoscopes or, or anything like that, because if we did, um, the world's population would probably be quite small. Um, uh, but capital punishment is a community event. The community is taking part in this. Right? In a
1: theocracy, a eh? um, like in a country that's run as like not in our democracies, right? It's a different setup, is, don't you think?
2: So in in countries that are theocracies, uh, can you name a few in the current world today?
1: No, I have no idea. I didn't know oh, there was. with you what like
2: Saudi mean, Arabia uh, and um, yeah, many yeah.
5: Arab countries, they, Correct. they yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, and uh, who's in charge of Nigeria right now? Have you got a Muslim in charge, or a... yeah, yeah? The know.
5: president is a Muslim, um, but of course, it's a it's a republic, yeah. so it's it's a democracy.
2: It's a democracy, right? So we so we're not yeah. following any of that kind of law. Okay, no, but we're in, not following. In some countries, they do still follow a theocratic uh, style, and they still do this. And um, so countries like like Saudi Arabia um, and uh, before they had the big internal civil war, countries like Yemen and places like that uh, would follow these laws quite strictly. Now, we don't in the secular world. The secular world doesn't read this. And and obviously, Mexico, uh, Bernardo doesn't read this. Um, I mean, they do, but they don't apply it. uh, Even as Catholic nations, they don't apply these kinds of uh, rules. In a theocracy that becomes something different and um and that's because capital punishment is a community event like in Saudi Arabia she's very public right this 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 death here of whoever it is that's doing these things it's public it's not something you do at the basement of your dungeon uh you know locked away on a on a midsummer's night okay this is done in a very public method done by witnesses who actually saw firsthand the the, the grievance and the whole community because it says, you know, the hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting to death and then everybody else joins in. So it becomes a very community event. And so um, because it's so communal, there's quite a good chance that a lot of this stuff didn't happen very often because if you're five years old and your dad's taking you to stoning you know as the uh um monty python joke was
4: okay
2: (laughs) you know that has an effect on your kid okay and uh and so however it's still here as a rule because it demonstrates to the community that this is actually still very dangerous it's incredibly dangerous to the community it's incredibly dangerous to the ability of the people to remain in possession of the land. It's dangerous because it offends the very living God. It's dangerous because you might have to enact a punishment that is horrible and going to have some psychological effect on you guys. So it's very, very, very powerful. And, uh, and so what, what Yeshua does in John, you know, is a, becomes an incredibly even more powerful because of the way he shapes it in relation uh, to personal to personal sin. But again, as you've mentioned before, Sharon, this is a theocracy. And
3: um, but Aaron, sorry, Aaron, in today's thing, didn't Paul say, in a in a in a slightly different way, the principle is still the same. You still need two or three more witnesses to cast somebody out of the church, and the church yeah. leaders are still
2: in control of that aspect. That's yep. So cool. Yeah,
3: and yep. it's still very much a community, isn't it, So
2: Yes, it's supposed to be a
3: community um, punishment. punishment. Yeah, Aaron, can I add a thought about capital punishment in the context of the passage we just looked at in John eight, with where Jesus was, you know, presented this challenge or this trick situation. Because there will be plenty of Christians would who try and say that actually Jesus has demonstrated that he's cancelled the, the capital punishment law of the of the Torah, and I don't think he's doing that. I think he's just reinterpreting it, and basically, he's saying that um, he doesn't disagree that adultery is a capital offence, but he's saying this is not the time, and, you, and more importantly, you are not the judges. There will come a time when sins will be co- will be dealt with, and they will be capital offences. Right, but the so, time is not now.
2: Yeah, the the that could be true. Uh, Yeshua never never abrogates Torah; that he can't do that because technically he wrote it, um, yeah. and, uh, and and yeah. But he is giving an, an interesting little interpretation for it. Uh, the next passage, if we have time, um, moves into some into when we do have very difficult questions that we can't obviously answer, and those are many and varied. You see them many times in the Bible themselves. For example, uh, it says, Thou shalt not uh, make fire on the Sabbath. Okay, great. So we don't make a fire on the Sabbath. Well, one day in the book of Numbers, they find a guy picking up sticks. And they catch him. It doesn't say in the Bible, Thou shalt not pick up sticks on the Sabbath. And no one knows what to do. So what's the, what do they do? They bring him before they go Moses.
5: to Moses.
2: Yeah, and then Moses and Aaron don't know what to do. They go, wow. Well, <laughs> they went see? to God. <laughs> I mean, typical. Every time you ask Moses a question, he turns around and he goes, oh, i gotta ask God. You know, like, you know. And so he runs off into the into the Mishkan and God says, take him out and stone him. Okay, so we, we kill the guy who was picking up sticks. Now we've got a new rule. Thou shalt not pick up sticks on Shabbat. Um, didn't have it before, but now we do. There's a precedental uh, law, which, Roddy, you know all about that. Most of our societies are built on it law. Um, so there will come times when we don't know what to do. It's not written. It's not clear. And so verse 8 says, uh, If cases come before your courts that are too difficult for you to judge, and whether bloodshed, lawsuits, or assaults, there are lots of different, upper, different forms of, of law cases, take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. Where is that? Jerusalem. Correct. Either Shiloh or Jerusalem. You're going to the central place of worship. So you've got your courts, wherever they are around uh, the country. Can't figure something out. Let's go to God. God is now involved. The religious establishment is now involved in your judiciary. Go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office at that time. Now, if you've got a judge inside the temple, what caste system is he? What tribe does he belong it's, to? He's Le- Levite. So, so yeah. your judges, the Shoftim, are not the judges that we find in the book of Judges, which come from all two, kinds of different tribes. Here we're talking about just the people who are administering to the Lord, in you know, either Shiloh or in the temple. So we're talking about Kohanim and Leviim. Okay? Uh, And in fact, in Hebrew, that's what it says. Okay? and Go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office at the time. Inquire of them and they will give you the verdict. You must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. Okay? Um, Act according to whatever they teach you and the decisions they give you. Don't turn to the side from the left or to the right. Anyone who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest uh, who's, who stands ministering there to the Lord. So again, the Le- 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 uh, Levites or Coens. uh, you have to put him to death. You must purge this evil from the land. It's pretty, pretty harsh. Uh, all the people will hear and be afraid and they will not be contemptuous again. So it might have actually happened in uh past so the highest court that you now find according to moses is actually the levitical priesthood those that minister before the lord okay and um this uh does not separate church and state this actually makes as you were saying sharon the theocracy a part of your government, a part of your judiciary. And so the highest judges in the land are those that have a knowledge of the Lord, okay? And- um, Aaron?
1: Aaron, Sorry, go ahead.
5: On on that note, um, I think why the, the core name were being asked to judge because they were the experts in the law. They are the ones that can interpret the law and so they were playing the role of the judiciary for the community then. Um, that's where way I see it. Okay. Because if we have a problem, now we go to the courts. And because with the courts, we have the judges, which are lawyers, which are experts in the law. They can interpret the law. But here we have um, the priests who are the experts in the law because the law that governs this community is, was law that was given by God. And it's priests, were are the ones to interpret
2: them. Yep, which means you can't separate church and state.
1: Yeah, see, I agree with that concept. Sorry to interrupt for a second, Aaron. No, no, but go right I, ahead. I totally agree with that concept, and there's an organization in Canada called Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity, which is trying to bring Christianity back to the culture in every facet of culture, not sort of this, you know, pietistic, escapist, church you know, separated from reality everywhere else. So the concept (laughs) is there for sure. But for example, in the current laws in Canada, we can't go and purge this evil from our land. No, of course not. So so I guess my point is just that how do we bring Christian values and Christian truth that Jesus is Lord of all of creation, all of, you know, education and law and, you know, every facet of life. How do we bring those to a culture that's not recognizing or run as a theocracy as ancient Israel was?
2: Okay, uh, <laughs> lots of questions there. Um <laughs> There's absolutely no way I can answer any of them <laughs> other than to ask that same question as well, is that here we have what, what, what Moses is saying is there is, you do have courts. Now, exactly what law are they functioning on would be the law from God. It wouldn't be a secular law. We don't have such a thing. And uh, there there could be some very wise interpreters of the law who are not priests, but just have obviously got a good knowledge of the the laws that have been given and precedental law and whatever. But there might come a a case where they don't really know the ins and outs, the nuances of, of the text. So we go to a priest. So the society that Moses is setting up involves... A very active priesthood. Okay, he's he's in the book of Deuteronomy downplays the role of ritual. The number of sacrifices just hardly exists in Deuteronomy. It's it's all over the place in numbers, but in Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, "Oh no, but the, the Levites are a part of everything. They're part of every every festival. You make sure they show up. You make sure they're part of your judiciary. You make sure that they're." You know, part of how they select and and, and look after kings. So, um, it's a it's a good question. How do we as believers? What should be should be our react our relationship to a secular world? Uh, where does the rub come? Um, because we must we must say Jesus is Lord. We must say Yeshua Hu Adon. We must say Jesus is the Lord. Yeshua Hu, hu Yosheva, like he say, he sits on the throne. And that might mean we get ourselves into trouble. That might mean we are countercultural. That might mean um, we say things that are politically incorrect and and, most, and, and and inappropriate. But I think Moses is saying here, look, the, the highest form of courts is the Bible. Absolutely. And, um, and, and, I don't know about uh, uh, when I've only been alive for the last uh, 50 years, but um, in our country, in Australia, um, we had this really good governor. He was Catholic uh, of Queensland where I grew up. And his name um, was, um, who was his name? No, I can't remember his name. And uh, he was our governor for only about four years. And he was labor, meaning he was a socialist uh, in terms of uh, welfare programs. But he was quite conservative when it came to fiscal policy. So he became the governor of our state. And within a couple of years, he balanced the budget. And we ended up two years in a surplus. It was a golden era for us all growing up. We all had jobs. We all were fantastic. And then um, they they wanted to pass a law for abortion. This is in the 80s. And uh, they wanted to make abortion legal, was illegal at the time, as some of us will remember that that used to be the case. And he was the governor and he said, I cannot sign this into law. I just can't do it. I'm a Catholic. And so they had to call an election. And he went on television and his adverts. And I remember as a kid watching this guy say, look, I balanced the budget. I've done everything fantastic, you know, where we're in a surplus, this, that, and the other, you know, where uh, everything I've done has been, you know, touched by God. It's been great. But I can't physically sign this bill. I'm a Catholic. Well, he lost the election great. on that one issue. It had nothing to do with his other policies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was great.
2: You couldn't fault him on anything else. Um, and it, it creates this discussion. Is there a separation of church and state? Can the Catholic actually do this? Can we? Could you guys as believers look God in the eye and say, I know what your law says, but hey, yeah, I'm running a secular country here, so we're going to kill unborn people. We're going to allow gay marriage. It's tough, isn't it? You cannot do it, Aaron. Seriously, if you, if you, if you follow the Lord God, you have to follow the Lord God's ways. I agree with you, David, and I see that, and I see that here in, in what Moses is saying, is the Levites and uh, the highest form of judiciary is the law of God itself. And, uh,
4: yeah, um,
3: Aaron, can I just give a perspective on? on this? That okay. What I think is really important is to, to do as Jesus did. In other words, because he came as a son of God full of grace and truth. So bring it, holding these two together, which can be a very tricky balancing act in other words witnessing to the truth of god but demonstrating his grace in that he forgives these things so uh, i mean that's easier to work out like in personal relationships you you can be straightforward and honest with people but and say that yeah god god is against sinful lives but he, will, he kind of overlooks these, if you're going to repent, you know, if there, and there was a way to approach him through repentance and through the grace of Jesus and his death on the cross, all, all these understandings. but So that's not too difficult to um, manage in terms of personal relationships. But to scale that up, the balance between grace and truth um, in, in a judicial sense, I mean, it's, it's a good principle, but it's a very difficult one to maintain as a Christian. I agree with that. And, Aaron, how, how, how do we get by with one
2: Peter 2.13? Read that out. Uh, I've just got it in my brain. I've got to look it up again, sorry. Okay. It's, it's, it's about obeying okay. the ordinances of man. Okay, yeah.
6: And well, governance
1: So I think it's legitimate, David, as you're looking that up, for Christians to speak office to seek um authority positions of authority where they can affect the laws of their land no matter what type of you know laws you have in your land and that's a perfect example so from my understanding vice president pence in the u.s for example with our side chat about america is a born again christian so that affects his values and that informs his you know running mate their trump as he he makes decisions and does whatever he does as a president. You know, like, I'm not saying anything about Trump's character and stuff in a positive sense that he's got big issues. But still, you can affect the governments that you live in and work in as we all reach out in our communities and our spheres of influence that are just unique to us and nobody else has the same influence as we do.
2: Yes, uh, uh, Aaron. Yes, I agree with that. And uh, Aaron, can I read to you 13, 14, and 15 of 1 Peter 2? Actually, keep going to 16 as well. You know, 16, oh, there's the Liberty one, yes. Uh, Do you want to read it?
3: You've got a clearer voice than I have.
2: Okay. (laughs) Be subject, uh, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution or government, whether it be an emperor uh, or his governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil. So that's an interesting statement. The government is there to punish those who do evil, not to do evil itself. Okay. So they punish evil and to praise those who do good, okay? not to lock those up who are good. okay? So you have to be careful what, what government is there for. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should uh, put to silence the ignorance of the foolish. Live as people who are free and do not use your freedom as a cover-up to do evil things. So uh, we can't say that we live in a free society, so we will uh, allow all this evilness to, to go about because we, we're, we're living in a free society. That is wrong. And so we ha- it, uh, it's a very interesting tension that uh, Peter is running. We do have to uh, be obedient to the government because they are there, okay? But that doesn't mean that they're, that they're good. And it certainly doesn't mean that they're always doing right. And so we, we have Moses is here, knowing that he is going to set up a people to conquer a land and they're going to reflect the character of God somewhere along the line they're going to come up with the idea like we don't know what to do we're we're stuck so what should be our highest form of authority the Torah that's right God himself let's go talk to the priests now yes they are going to become corrupt. We're not. I'm not going to say that they don't. Okay, and 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 uh, the God is going to have some nasty things to say to bad shepherds, and Yeshua is going to have some nasty things to say to false priests and and uh, and people like that. Um, but the end of the day is we have to acknowledge that uh, God is King and His Word is true, and uh, and every man is a liar. Um, and so it is, it, the tension comes. Can we really separate church and state? And the answer is actually probably not. There might be secular societies, yes. But if you join that secular society, don't become secularized. Our opportunity is to take the light into the world. And so we can become ministers of power, become governors, governors. Um, but we have to stand for the truth. Uh, okay. One of the guys that I admire, uh, and he don't, he won't mind me saying this because he pretty much tells everybody—is um, actually the um, uh, director. The sorry, the 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 CMJ board representative for CMJ Canada. So his name is um, uh, James Lunny. He was a member of Canadian Parliament for fifteen years. And, uh, and he was uh, liberal, meaning conservative in Canadian words. But there was one incident in the, in, the, in the government where as part of the curriculum education of Canada, they were going to teach evolution as part of their curriculum. And he said, you can teach evolution, but you must also teach creation alongside of it. Oh, you have to have both. You can't just have one.
6: So, Aaron. Yes. Part of the, the problem is and for the United States and maybe Canada also is people think that the United States Constitution guarantees a right um, of separation of church and state. And that's not what it says. Uh, it, it's in the First Amendment. It's the establishment clause. And it says that the government shall make no law um restricting the establishment or exercise thereof but it doesn't right. say there has to be a separation of the church and state it's just the establishment of or the exercise thereof you can't make a law to those two issues right so we've been we hear these things because of thomas jefferson and his writings and his interpretation of it but uh we have this preconceived ideas about what we think and it's not what it says
2: Right, I think I think I've heard this argument before, Roddy. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well,
6: uh, you go read the Constitution and the, the amendment, the First Amendment.
2: Okay, it's clear the, about
6: it. What it says. Yep. Yeah. So, um, in
2: going back to that, my little Canadian friend. So he ended up, um, uh, leaving his party, becoming an independent, because they refused to add in the clause. Uh, you can teach evolution, but you also have to teach creation. And so, um, you know, here's this guy who said, look, I can't vote for this. I can't in all good conscience, stand before God and say, I decided to sign a uh, document that told everybody that they're products of chemical soup when they're young and impressionable at the ages of three, four, five, and six. Um, and, uh, and so I, and I, and I find those kinds of people to be quite brave and, um, and, and deserving of, uh, of some, some honor. And, uh, and and so perhaps this, this notion, as you're saying, Roddy, the separation of church and state is actually something that doesn't exist as we might think it. And uh, too many Christians, too many believers, including in this country. Okay, because uh, Israel's not perfect in any. <laughs> okay, when you have you know free abortions in the army and all kinds of horrible things, it was very much against the Torah. Uh, uh, is, that, um, is that we have to acknowledge that we we take our faith into the secular world, and and we must by the by God's power, by God's grace, by His Spirit, shine our lights unwaveringly, and um, and, and always say, look, I'm I'm appealing to a higher court. You know, I I understand the discussion, but this is wrong. And in grace, I love you very much, and I you know, don't want you to fire me or whatever, but, um, but you know, I can't sign these laws. I can't do these following things. I can't you know, sell you your drugs, even though the, the government tells me that I must. You know, there, there, there are things that we just obviously can't do. And, um, and here, Moses is doing his best you know, to remind the people, look, when it does come time for you to, to wrestle with some issues, in your world, uh, make sure you go back and appeal to heaven. Make sure you have a look at what God says. Make sure you find somebody who has a knowledge of the Word, and uh, and appeal to them. Um, um, Aaron, go for it, Shimshon. Um,
5: yeah, um, I think um, just like um, Sharon did, Acts, um, there need to be a reorientation among believers in our way of life, of and the way we live our lives. You know. I think for too long we have been made to believe that we can separate church and state, yes. And so we get to accept everything out there that is being given to us. And so we create these two illusions. And so many times it's very difficult to explain some things to your children, especially when why do we do this and why uh, other people will, will do the other things and things yes, like sure. that. Yeah. And um, that's because we have absorbed it and we have uh, taken it as a standard of life. I remember there's. um there was an incident in Ukraine um, because of what you mentioned, and they stopped the teaching of evolution in the schools, ah. in the secondary school. They actually stopped it because the the believers were strategic. Yes, it's one thing to be um, to be to have the understanding, but it's another thing to be strategic. Because if you just try to operate, you cannot go to today's congress, for instance, and you try to quote from the scripture. Yeah, you. Yeah, so you have to have an understanding of the law of the country and try to use the law of the country that supports your um, bidding and make your argument and also to bring others into the same kind of concept so that it's easy for you to pass your law or else we just continue to get people that will stand up and be brave, but at the end of the day, they will lose their position and we don't get the job done. So it's going to be a bit difficult, but ultimately I, from my perspective, I see that it's only Yeshua that, when it comes, when the Messiah comes that we be able to unite completely the church and state, and will yeah. be for fun- that for us to function as a society. But in the world of today, it's i uh, I don't want to be pessimistic, but it's going to be a bit difficult, <laughs> especially when you're living, in, yeah. when you're living in, in society. Like for instance, in our country, we have, um, We have a good, huge population of Muslims. We have Christians. We have even traditionalists. So how can you, you know, sell a law from the Torah that is going to be binding on everybody, you know?
2: because we're (laughs) operating in a theocracy, which is what you were mentioning, Sharon. Yes. -hmm. And we haven't had one of those forms of government for a very long time. We did see it briefly for a couple hundred years in uh, the British Empire, Where you had the head of state as the head of the church, and you had a state church, the Church of England, and you you had national schools and a national way of life and a national dialogue, and there are some that criticize that sort of way of life and say this is bad. I would argue, actually, no, I would say actually the reverse. I'm saying that we may not have done it correctly all the time, but it is the model that Moses is presenting in the Bible. The highest form of authority should be God. It should be his word, and it should be with those who study his word and can give you a a judgment uh, accordingly. Um,
0: Aaron, um, in the UK, the Queen is still the head of the Church of England
2: is. She is still that and, this, and the Church of England is still the state church. No one yes. actually knows but she is still the state church. Mm-hmm.
7: Yes. So. Yeah. In Scotland um, yeah, yeah. the churches, when I was growing up and probably in my teens the Church of Scotland Assembly used to have an influence on the laws that were passed in Scotland. They, they used to um, the government used to listen to well the Scottish people used to listen to the, the Advice or the things that the church was saying, and the, the yep. laws were kind of went accordingly, but that that went a, a long time ago.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, it's changed.
7: We still
0: have bishops in the, in the parliament, though.
7: We, we
2: still do. have
0: bishops the, the, in the house, house of lords.
2: Still Lord still um, and,
0: and Christianity the, used to have a lot more influence even when I was younger, but gradually it's been dissipated and dissolved, really diluted, I should say by the influx and the power of other faiths. So now, whereas when I worked for a short time for a local authority, um, they had prayers, Christian prayers, before each council meeting every month. And they do that in the House of Commons too. But I imagine, certainly in local authorities, certainly in some places, if not all, they have to be multi-faith. And that's the problem. It's all beginning to get diluted. But what,
6: there is. used to
7: be so it's much, dangerous. so much Christian influence.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in Scotland,
7: they, in the Scottish Parliament, they have um, a, a, a devotion once a week. Because I used to go to Parliament mm-hmm. to pray for Scotland. Then we would all go down to Parliament, and listen to it, and it is for most, it is for all faiths. But it's it's the majority of people. I mm-hmm. think you have to be nominated, and then they get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the the devotions that are given are actually Christians. Yep. Um, I think that's just the way it's, you know, the people that have volunteered or wanted to do or um, been put forward have been the majority is Christians. So they just still do that. And they know that there's a group called Parliamentary Pay for Scotland because they go in every week and they've got yeah. these red jackets, they call them the, the red line. It's something to do with some battle or other the thin red line. And and they they're acknowledged in the parliament and um, sometimes they have MPs come into their prayer group before they go to Parliament, to, and they would actually pray for them, ask them, how can we pray for you? How can we support you? They get invited to carol services, they get invited to a few other things, so they're actually recognised by the Scottish Parliament. Mm. To, it's a Christian influence. It's not obviously going to help pass any laws, but at least it's <laughs> they know yeah. that there's a group of Christians praying for them. But the other thing you know about these, these Christian... That have been leaders of countries, and then they stepped down because they can't sign off on something that's, that goes against the word of the Lord. One one of the positives, and it gets at least it gets the issues brought up in the country on the media and stuff. People are all discussing it, even if they do eventually have to stand down.
2: And to put a positive spin on some of this to make sure that we we understand how how God is always in control and he uses heroes, which might not seem like heroes. Um, uh, President Trump signed an executive order to, for babies who survive an abortion must receive medical care. And, and so you think, Why did he have to sign an executive order? That should be completely obvious. So they tried to abort a baby. It failed, a live baby, a live person is now sitting on the table. Prior to President Trump signing a law, you could just leave the baby and walk out the room and let it die. Um, So you can have some some influence in government. It is possible to be a believer, to be in parliament, to be a, a, a ruler. And actually, uh, do some good, and so that is um, is, uh, is is a, is a positive thing. Okay. So. Did
7: you know that um, President Trump has a Bible, his mother's Bible, that came from somebody who was heavily involved in the Hebrides revival?
2: No, I didn't know that. But it, it just shows that, that, you know, it's very hard. I'm not going to say that the guy's a saint because he's, he's certainly not. <laughs> but there by the grace of God go all of us. Um, but it is interesting that in this case, it, you know, it, it took a, an executive order, which means he just signed it. No one votes on it. Yeah. Okay? Um, because if you did get a vote on it, it probably wouldn't have passed, which is right. very sad. Right? Yeah, that's actually quite a sad concept. Think of. And so
1: that's a statement of how a democracy is the will of the people, but the will of the people is not always, definitely not Christian, and not always for the good of, of a nation. And so, you know, a nation that is righteous, yeah. you know, like a prophet. Well,
2: I, I would argue that democracy would never uh, actually be Christian, um, just because unless the people are Christians, right. there would be no such thing. The democracy, if it's of a, of a secular uh, community, can only be secular. For like what we see in the in the Torah, we see in the Hebrew Bible, they're not a democracy. And and next week when we get to the subject of kings, I mean Moses is not elected. We don't have a vote on selecting Joshua. There's no sort of okay, let's have a let's have a runoff. I want I want Joshua and some other guys, you know, Shimshon and a few others, Aaron to come on and and give me their best spiel, and we'll all vote to see who should should succeed. You know, you don't get any of that. Um, it's all very much uh appointments uh the divine right of kings you know that kind of idea and uh it's and then the d- the democratic idea idea is actually a secular model that we inherit from the greeks right and mm-hmm.
1: um, that's so why that i'm sorry to interrupt but that's why the Arabs think that democracy they 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 want to you know when they say we're going to take over the capital and yeah. they're going to tear down tear down the, the idol worshipers and and one of the things that they're going to tear down is democracy
6: yeah, so it's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, there's an element of truth for sure.
6: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I guess the concept is so even. So I just sent a link to with you guys for the chat, just to, to to reference this organization. So in Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity, the guy is a you know PhD guy from what Oxford or something, and he's just a real intellectual thinker. But his con his point is like even based on Romans chapter one. North America, like Canada and or North America, might even be under the judgment of God as we speak, the way that Romans 1 is spoken, not kind of a harbinger of, you know, because of our choices, exactly to your point, Yvonne, but that, you know, for sure, like the concept that, you know, God needs to be honored and stop the idolatry and stuff. I mean, you know, those guys have a point too, right? I mean, we are a pretty immoral country and North America is pretty...
2: Yeah, we're uh, all over the world. We're, let's all admit it, okay? Um, we, we deserve the wrath of God, and it is the grace of God that he delays his wrath and giving us, uh, as members of his kingdom, the opportunity to continue to worship him, praise him, honour him, uh, follow him, obey his commandments, and share the good news and, 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 and share some of that. Okay, guys, um, just to sum up, uh, we'll get into kingship. Next week, and then there'll be some more of separation of church and state because this king is 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 uh, under the direct um, uh, has a definite direct relationship with the Levitical priests. But idolatry is uh, a real problem for the people of Israel and and us. Uh, and Moses knows that as he's setting up this just society, that idolatry is is, is going to be a real problem. So we make sure that uh, we acknowledge the worship of God should be perfect, hence the sacrifices we bring will be perfect. Uh, when we do find idolatry, we do need to remove it from our community. But capital punishment uh, can only be done if it's if it's visible. Gossip is not enough. Hearsay evidence is not enough. And it must be done by multiple witnesses uh, and then the actual people who enact any form of capital punishment must be the first people to pull the plug, um, meaning that this probably didn't happen very, very often because of that, because of that, that rule. When you do finally come to rules and laws that you don't have answers for, consult the Bible. Okay? Go see your priest, and, uh, which puts the responsibility on the priesthood to actually do their job. That is, they are meant to also administer before the Lord. They are meant to read and study his word and put it into practice and then share that light with the people who come to them for, 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 uh, for justice. And so that it might not be possible ever to, to separate church and state, and I would argue that you can't, and I think most of you are going to be agreeing there as well. God is king, and we live in his kingdom. Uh, blessed be God.